Talk to my friend Drew. And Allen. I'll tell you what, he's a tough guy. A millennial conservative. I've, I've become a big fan of One your writing. Of the great young thinkers of our time. Appreciate his opinion. Conservative Drew Allen. As diehard conservative to this guy for wisdom. I just wish that Americans and American politicians cared as much about this country, the United States of America, as they do about Ukraine. It's as simple as that for me. I mean, Zelensky, hey, by the way, before I talk about Zelensky, and I've got a strong point of view about this today, before I get into him, what happened to, to, to Dr. Fauci? We could not get rid of this guy for the past two years. We were begging, begging. I mean, it was like it was like some kind of version of hell, having to turn on the TV, the radio. You could not escape the little leprechaun going on TV and spouting dangerous misinformation about COVID, about how the little dictator leprechaun uh, was going to abuse the American citizens further. And now he's gone into witness protection. Witness protection. The guy, you can't find him anywhere. But, you know, that's okay. The left found a new hero. Uh, Last Christmas, it was, of course, uh, (laughs) uh, you know, ornaments, Dr. Fauci ornaments that were going and adorning Christmas trees. It was uh, documentaries about Dr. Fauci, propaganda about Dr. Fauci. You remember his office, by the way, those pictures? He's sitting in his own office with with memorabilia of himself, (laughs) posters of himself, his, his various accolades. Uh, but now Zelensky is the new, the new Jesus, if you will, of the left. He has replaced Fauci. And that's very troublesome for me. Look, I, I, I am going about this in an even keel way. Uh, I will be fair and judicious, but I have an opinion about this. But the way that the left is propping up Zelensky is some kind of new god. I mean, this, this next Christmas, I kid you not, there are going to be Zelensky ornaments. They can put Zelensky up there on the Christmas tree right next to Dr. Fauci. But it's troubling to me because, look, I mean, these are very, very serious times. And however you feel about Russia, Ukraine, what our involvement should be, I think that we should all be able to agree that this is a time for sobriety. I mean, especially tell that to Nancy Pelosi, right? Mitch McConnell. These guys are drunk every time they take to the microphone. But nonetheless, I mean, it's time for sober thought, right? It's not a time for emotional knee-jerk reactions. It's a time for sober thought, reason, rational thought. We have to look at things with a certain level of objectivity and, of course, subjectivity as it relates to America and what the results and consequences are going to be like a chessboard, not just one move of a pawn forward, but the grand scheme of this thing. We're being played by so many players out there. China, by the way, China, th- this tells should tell you everything you need to know. This, this tells me everything I need to know to form a, uh, a sober response to the situation in Russia, Ukraine. So, you know, Zelensky's demanding. I mean, this is crazy. Demanding the no-fly zone. I'll get into that in just a minute. But he's demanding this no-fly zone, which is going to, of course, escalate things. And the no-fly zone... I don't understand it to begin with. I understand what a no-fly zone is. I'll explain it in a little bit. But the no-fly zone is addressing an issue that doesn't exist. The, Ru- the Russians are not using their air force right now. 
Uh, so a no-fly zone is actually not solving a problem because that problem doesn't even exist yet. But nonetheless, amidst this demand for a no-fly zone, um, uh, you've got China that is encouraging the United States of America, trying to goad us into putting boots on the ground and basically declaring war on Russia. I think, I don't have the quotation, but the state media there, the communist Chinese propaganda put out uh, a statement saying that, you know, uh, um, Americans are hypocrites, our politicians are hypocrites right now. If we really want justice for Ukraine, we need to get involved in this war and punish Russia using our military. I want no part of this right now. I've got to be honest with you. A war is not what we need. And if the communist Chinese are trying to goad us into going to war, nah, nah. I'm going to take a, take a pass. Thanks. It's kind of like COVID. They unleash COVID on the world. Our economy, we shut it down. We destroy it because of something that China released that Fauci, of course, participated in the production of that coronavirus. And then, uh, you know, what happened? China's economy is very minimally damaged from the virus they put out into the world. But meanwhile, the rest of the global world is brought to its knees. Their economies are, are, are destroyed and devastated, and China's just up above the clouds. Clear, clear sailing. You know, we're, we're in the midst of a storm, but they're, you know, 2,000 feet above it, having, a, having the time of their lives, looking down at all of us, uh, frantic about this uh, COVID-19 virus. And just laughing at us. But so Zelensky, he he spoke virtually to Congress. And look, my heart, I want to preface this way. Look, my heart does go out for the Ukrainians. It really does. Uh, What's happening there is insane. It's brutal. And the Russians never should have invaded in the first place. But again, the Biden administration did nothing to prevent the invasion in the first place. They were practically begging for the Russians to invade with the way they kept predicting it was going to happen and not implementing any sanctions. Their argument all along was, no, we're not going to introduce any real harsh sanctions to the Russians because, well, that would give Putin one less reason to invade. So you, you sanction him after he's already invaded? What sense does that make? But anyway, after Zelensky, Zelensky gave this emotional address to Congress, uh, you know, many of these Congress pronouns were left in tears. I mean, he did play this emotional, heart-wrenching, gut-wrenching video. And if, of course, it was like a Hollywood video set to this, this score uh, that's like a movie score and showing images of happy Ukrainians in all the cities throughout the country before the war and then showing images of, of missiles impacting apartment buildings, and it is gruesome. It is horrible. But in some ways, it is propaganda. It is propaganda because it's intended to pull at the heartstrings and push a response from the United States of America. But this is my problem before I address Zelensky directly and what he did. So he plays this video. He addresses uh, uh, Congress, and you've got tears in the audience for what's happening to Ukraine. Worthy of tears, certainly. But, look, I don't mean to conflate these two things, and I'm not attacking Ukraine here, but I'm, I'm making a point. You have tears because of the devastation that is happening in Ukraine, not in America. But these same politicians, did they shed a single tear over the last two years? Now COVID has magically just disappeared. 
They're not reporting any cases anymore. They're not reporting hospitalizations. They've just lifted everything. It was the the un-American experiment that failed, that never did anything. And we knew this all along. The lockdowns never worked. The punishment never worked. Uh, the, the, the masks didn't work. Shutting down businesses proved to be more devastating than actually just protecting the most vulnerable amongst us. But instead, what did we do? What did our politicians demand? They demanded we uproot our lives, give up our constitutional rights to the government, and just live with our necks under their boots for two years. So for two years, what, 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 what do they do? I mean, they put Americans out of work. They, they destroyed American businesses permanently. People had worked their whole lives to build these small businesses. It was their livelihoods. They shut them down without an afterthought, without any thought whatsoever, without any compassion. They did not care. It was for the greater good. Suicide rates soared. Alcohol and drug abuse soared. People who lost loved ones could not have funerals for them. Americans who had illnesses that were not COVID-related were left to die to prevent them from getting COVID in the hospitals. Parks were shut down. Restaurants were shut down. Gyms were shut down. You couldn't exercise. National parks were shut down. People were arrested for going to the beach. And not a single tear has been shed for these Americans who are the forgotten Americans. The Americans that were destroyed and devastated, not because of COVID-19, but because of the decisions of the Democrats mainly, but the politicians in Washington, D.C., who chose to destroy our lives for something that was real. But now we know that they inflated numbers, They built up this narrative using the media to convince Americans to be fearful for their lives. An entire generation now of young children has been taught, indoctrinated to live in fear, to be subservient and obedient to the government. And that's part of the training program. The inflation now is rearing its ugly head, uglier and uglier day after day because of what? Shutting down the economy and printing more money. That's how this started. That was the, the, the impetus of this disastrous economy we're experiencing today. And again, not a single tear shed, not an apology given. But Zelensky shows up to address Congress about what's happening in Ukraine, which does not impact Americans directly in any way whatsoever at the moment, and they're crying. But not for the American people, for the Ukrainians, for Zelensky's speech, emotional speech. And this is my problem. This is my problem, is that what we're witnessing is something that leads to irrationality. Now, Zelensky, in his address to Congress, he brought up 9-11. He brought up uh, Pearl Harbor. And he conflated those two tragedies on American soil with what's happening in Ukraine. It's emotional. It's emotional. He wants our involvement based on emotion, 
Not sound judgment, not sound reason. He did not appeal to the American people, to Congress, on the basis of any kind of rationale. He went straight for emotion. And that's dangerous. But he goes to Congress, and he brings up 9-11, and he brings up Pearl Harbor. Okay, I get the game. He's trying to make a clear connection that will impact, affect, move Americans to do whatever Zelensky thinks we should do for him and Ukraine. But when he addressed Parliament in London, in the UK, he invoked Winston Churchill and Shakespeare. I just find this completely sophomoric. This guy's the president of a country. Again, again, I understand the desperation. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. He needs help right now. And frankly, the West abandoned him. They allowed the circumstances for this invasion to take place to begin with. And he's in a pickle. But he's going. And he's, he's, he's giving his best, you know, uh, uh, actor response, in my opinion. Well, if I'm in England, I mean, this is like this is like when Hillary Clinton went to the South to campaign and she put on that Southern voice. I mean, she tried to talk like a black person, right? When she goes into a black church, she's a white woman, a white, old, elderly woman, and she puts on this show to try and get through to the black community. It doesn't come across as authentic. She can't just be herself and talk to people. She has to go black. We see this a lot with Democrats who are on the campaign trail. Even Obama did it. Even Ob- Obama didn't grow up in the hood. Obama's an educated, half-black man. And as Joe Biden even said, right, he's the first eloquent, clean-cut, clean non-smelly black man he's ever seen run for office. But when Obama would go in these communities, he would kind of take on the, the cadence and so on and so forth. And it's inauthentic. I don't like it. I reject it because it means someone's trying to take advantage of you. And that's what I find alarming about this Zelensky thing. Just come in and talk to us. You don't have to come in and try and compare what's happening to 9-11. And frankly, I find it offensive. It's not the same thing. You know, when 9-11 happened, we brought our military industrial complex. I mean, that's not quite fair. But, you know, after 9-11 happened, we got bombed on Pearl Harbor. Well, we picked ourselves up by the bootstraps. We didn't go begging anyone for anything. We got right into the war and did everything we had to do to win. We didn't go begging anybody. Now, granted, it's a different scenario because, you know, Europe was already at war, and then we came in and had to clean up for everybody. The U.S. had to exert itself and win the war. And we did that. And when it comes to 9-11, that was a terrorist attack that murdered innocent American lives. It's not the same thing is what I'm trying to say. And I just find it very immature. And, and Zelensky, look, you know, Reagan was an actor, but Reagan had political experience. He was a governor of California. He'd been the, the director or whatever it was, the president of the Screen Actors Guild. He dealt with unions. He wasn't just an actor, and in fact, he hadn't acted for a very long time. He was an actor at one point in his career, but he'd spent the majority of his adult life not acting, but in managerial roles, working with union members, and then in government. He was a statesman. Zelensky is not Ronald Reagan. Zelensky is no Ronald Reagan. The guy was on a successful TV series, And I I don't decry this. I think the guy went to law school too. I'm not saying he's a stupid person, but I'm saying 
He doesn't have a lot of political experience. Now, you can say, well, what about Trump? Well, Trump was a billionaire. He'd worked in politics outside, giving them donations. He understood how politics worked. He was a billionaire. He understood the system inside and out because he took advantage of it himself. And, and you know, he, he, he ran for president and won. Zelensky's not Trump. Zelensky's not Ronald Reagan. Zelensky's a guy who was an actor who ran for office on the basis that essentially he was going to be the anti-corruption candidate, that he was going to clean up Ukraine, restore Ukraine in some capacity, but he just doesn't have the experience. Again, I'm not saying uh, uh, that, that, that he can't be president. I'm not treating him like Democrats would treat you know, Republicans or people who are outsiders who come into office, but I'm just saying Zelensky's not an experienced statesman. And he's out there pushing these things. Arguably, I'm sure he's talking to people on his side, but what he's asking for is a joke. So he's asking for this no-fly zone. And, and here's the thing. The Republicans and Democrats are clapping like seals for, for Zelensky. That's why I say Zelensky is the new Fauci. They're worshiping him, treating him like some, some god with a totally irrational approach. They're not thinking clearly. They're not thinking soberly. It's just black and white. Zelensky good, Putin bad, and uh, yeah, we've got to do whatever, I guess. I, I, I don't know what, they're, what they want and what they're going to do, but Zelensky, amongst the many things he requested, is this no-fly zone. Here's what he said. He said, Zelensky said, to create a no-fly zone over Ukraine to save people, is this too much to ask? Well, maybe it is, Zelensky. Uh, what is a no-fly zone? Should we address that? I want to address it. The no-fly zone, by the way, is a relatively modern, recent concept. Uh, you know, it was born kind of in the Cold War era. And we've only implemented a no-fly zone three or four times, believe it or not. It is not commonly used. And there are a, a variety of reasons for this. But basically, if, if NATO and the U.S. declare the airspace above the country of Ukraine as a no-fly zone, it means that if Russian aircraft take to the air, we're going to shoot them down. So it's very different. It is an escalation. It's very different than sending them arms, uh, getting them weapons they need, because that involves us uh, with direct involvement instead of indirect involvement. It is essentially saying uh, we're declaring war uh, on Russia, okay? It, it is, it is. Um, and so uh, what's odd to me about this call for a no-fly zone is that it's addressing an issue that doesn't even exist. Russia has not utilized its air force to bombard Ukraine with bombs. That's not what they're doing. They're relying on ground forces. So the idea... So Putin is sitting here saying, if you implement this no-fly zone, it's an escalation and uh, things are going to get bad. You know, it's basically Putin saying, if you do that, you're declaring war on us and we're really going to have a World War III here. But again, why would we declare a no-fly zone right now if there's no reason to declare a no-fly? Do you understand what I'm saying? There's no Russian aircraft flying in Ukrainian airspace right now. So why would you declare a no-fly zone if that's not even happening right now? If they're not attacking Ukraine 
from above, from the skies. So it's just an escalation that's unnecessary right now. And that's why I say we need sober judgment right now. But you got people out there, they're, yeah, maybe we should consider doing this no-fly zone. We need to do X, Y, and Z. And people with proven poor judgment are jumping on board with this. And that's the problem. And I'm sorry, you know, when the Democrats are pushing this thing and China's pushing this thing, that does that not cause you to raise an eyebrow? It causes me to raise an eyebrow. Uh, I can't think of a single thing the Democrats want that is beneficial to America or we the people, the citizens. I can't think of a single thing that China wants us to do that is beneficial to the Americans. And it's this very strange situation. China has Russia's back. So China's involved on the side from this. And they want us pulled into this war. And there are diplomatic means and channels that we could um, employ that we could explore to end this, but we're still not doing it. I mean, we just now banned importing Russian oil, but it's too little too late. It's too little too late. And the Russians are prepared for this. Do you know, I talked about this before, but do you know that Putin met with Xi, um, I think it was February 4th, but anyway, it was just before the Olympics were getting ready to start. And this is the first face-to-face meeting that Xi has had in two years. So he sits down with Putin. I believe it was in Beijing. And they ironed out a deal worth over a, I believe it's, uh, well, it's over $100 billion. I've got a, I've got a, I, wrote, I was up late writing an article, and I'll get to another point here that is just fascinating. I'm going to tell you what's going on uh, with oil. The Chinese are using oil to de-dollarize the world economy. That's what's happening. But anyway, this deal's worth over $100 billion, and it's exclusive, and the Russians are going to provide natural resources, natural gas, to China in the foreseeable future. And, and here's the kicker, the Chinese are going to pay the Russians in yuan, the Chinese currency instead of the dollar, which has been the way it's been for a long time. And there's a reason for that. I'll get to you in a minute. And uh, so I, I, I don't know what to tell you, you know. I, I, I just think that a lot of this isn't making sense. Um, I, I don't like that Zelensky is addressing our Congress and making this emotional appeal to our Congress to get us involved in their war. I just don't like it. I'm uncomfortable with it. And I don't like, again, this sophomoric approach which is to, I mean, it's kind of, I mean, oh, I'm in Parliament. I'm going to talk about Shakespeare. Come on. Come on, Zelensky. You're smarter than that. This conflict is real. You don't need to essentially kind of talk down to us in a way by invoking nine. Just talk to us about Russia, Ukraine. Talk to us about facts. Don't show us videos of the devastation and destruction. Talk to us about things that, you know, adults might talk about and approach. But again, Congress clapping like seals, crying after Zelensky talks to them, but no tears for the American people. And there's no, there's no effort being made to solve inflation. There's no effort being, and this is the thing, Mitch McConnell, uh, Mitt Romney, these horrendous rhinos that are traitors to this country. Do you never hear from them when it comes to inflation? You never hear from them when it comes to 
uh, demanding that the Biden administration get their boots off the necks of the American people. You didn't hear from them throughout COVID. You didn't hear them condemn these devastating COVID policies, this tyranny. You just didn't hear it. But now, Russia, Ukraine, they can't talk about it enough. All right, I want to get into this. And I'm going to pull this up. I'm not going to read this like some boring person, you know, because, this, I, you know, this is the Drew Allen show. I'm Drew Allen. I'm uniquely qualified to deliver information in an entertaining and informative way. Uh, you know, this is the voice. I am the voice of confident conservatism, 35 years young, getting younger by the year. And, uh, and that's what I do here. So I want to talk about this endgame. Step away, step back from Russia, Ukraine for just a moment, all right? Step away from it. We need to talk about, to set the stage, right? We're going to set the stage. The point of this is to enlighten everybody about the end game for China, what they're doing and what the Biden administration is doing to help China supplant the United States of America as the predominant superpower and to basically get rid of the U.S. dollar and our own financial hegemony in the world economy. The yuan is, is aiming to replace the dollar as the world's currency. That's what's happening. That's what this is about. But to set the stage, how did America become America? That's the lesson I, wanna, I want to uh, prophetize, if I pronounced it right, right now. Look, it is not a secret that the United States of America became the superpower that it is as a result of our involvement in World War II. And we deserved it, by the way. We deserved it for what we did and the sacrifices we made. We earned it, I should say. Nobody deserves anything. You earn it. We fought for it. We sacrificed for it. But, you know, even before, the, before World War II officially concluded, the United States made some very smart moves— uh, to secure our long-term financial viability, economic viability. And we did this with something called the Bretton Woods Agreement. Now, Bretton Woods is just a place in New Hampshire. Bretton Woods, New Hampshire. But in 1944, there were how many? Let's see here. Uh, so 1944, Bretton Woods, New Hampshire. Delegates from 44 countries, right? They show up. They meet at this hotel. And the upshot of this meeting uh, over this period of time, was the establishment of the IMF, that's the International Monetary Fund, and the World Bank, right? But the most important outcome of that Bretton Woods Agreement, of that meeting of the delegates from 44 countries in 1944, was an agreement to replace the gold standard with the U.S. dollar as the global currency. It was very shrewd. It gave the dollar more value relative to other currencies, but it was also a secure and practical outcome for the rest of the world. Because look, the United States held three quarters. Think about this. The United States held three quarters of the world's supply of gold. So it made the U.S. the only, only country with enough gold to back its currency, the dollar, as a replacement to the gold standard. And so the agreement was that the dollar was going to be tied to gold. And basically, uh, a dollar was worth one thirty-fifth of an ounce of gold. Now, Nixon 
ripped this to shreds in 1971. He announced he was going to unshackle the U.S. from its promise that the dollar was worth this much gold. And so, look, we've seen the long-lasting... Look, economists, people, I'm not, I'm not one of those economists, um, but it is widely agreed upon that when we got rid of the gold standard, well, it's had devastating consequences in our economy. Uh, if you think about it pragmatically, when we abandoned the gold standard, look, that, that led to instability because before... The U.S. dollar was backed by gold, so it was an objective measure of what its value was. It created stability. But when you took it off of that, what does that mean? It means that the dollar is not objective. It's now subjective. It's whatever people think it's worth. It's no longer $35 an ounce of gold. It's just the dollar's worth what we think it's worth. And, and one of the interesting things that happened, but for this example, but for this agreement that happened in 1974, I think it was, the, the dollar would likely, uh, our financial hegemony in the world, our dominance, the world using the dollar, would probably have not continued to exist had we not struck a deal with the Saudi Arabians. And in that agreement with the Saudi Arabians, we convinced them to sell all of their oil for dollars. Not just to us, that was for everyone. So oil, like gold, is a commodity, right? And oil is, in fact, the new gold. Do you know that oil, uh, the value of oil, the oil market, I should say, it's roughly 10 times the size of the gold market. Oil is king. Oil is liquid gold, as they say. And so because the Saudis were willing to trade their oil exclusively for U.S. dollars, well, it meant that other countries needed dollars to purchase oil, so they would stock up on U.S. dollars. So it created a reserve system that continued of U.S. dollars. And so with excess dollars that people had after they'd purchased their oil from the Saudis in, in dollars, well, what would they do? They would recycle that back into the U.S. economy, buying our goods and services or our securities. And so all roads led back to the United States of America and the almighty dollar. So now what's happening? China is announcing, well, I should say Saudi Arabia has announced tentatively that they are mulling over selling their oil to China for yuan instead of dollars. What's the upshot of this? People are going to be swimming in yuan. If Saudi Arabia no longer forces everyone to buy oil in dollars, those dollars are going to go away. This is the attempt by the Chinese to inundate the market with yuan so that instead of having excess dollars to spend in the American economy, people are going to recycle their yuan back in the Chinese economy, buying Chinese goods and services and buying their treasuries, their securities. And so this is not insignificant. I cannot overstate this enough. I'll read this from my article, which will come out probably tomorrow or something. We'll see. So, I say this is not insignificant, right? In fact, such a shift should would deal a catastrophic blow to the American economy and usher in a new era in which the United States is supplanted by the Chinese as the world's dominant superpower. It would hasten America's fall and China's rise. 
The world as we've known it would come to an, an abrupt end. And that's exactly true. Here's the thing. This is an Achilles heel for China. China is not rich in oil. They don't have it. They've essentially exhausted what they have, and it's too costly for them to go and drill in the ocean. So they supplanted in 2017, the Chinese that is, the United States as the world's largest importer of crude oil. What does that mean? They have great leverage to insist that oil purchases be made in yuan rather than dollars because they're the ones importing all the oil. The Saudi Arabians, the Russians, they're dependent upon the Chinese more than anyone else. And so as China pays more for oil in yuan rather than dollars, foreign suppliers are going to have more yuan to spend. They're going to pump it back in the, into the Chinese economy. And this is going to strengthen the Chinese market. And it's going to promote the de-dollarization of the oil market. So China is using oil to de-dollarize the world economy. China is using oil to replace America and the Biden administration. What are they doing? They're ensuring that this happens. Now, I told you about the deal that Putin and Xi made. It was worth $117.5 billion that would be paid in yuan. So as the Chinese are using their leverage to as oil importers to de-dollarize the world's economy, the Democrats just the other day are demanding in the name of climate change that Joe Biden declare a climate emergency and to ban all drilling on federal land. You know, the, the federal government owns almost one-third of the land in the United States of America. If he bans federal drilling, it will essentially destroy American oil production. That is a fact. And so this ensures what? That both America and the rest of the world are dependent upon foreign sources of oil, mainly Russia and Saudi Arabia. We are cutting ourselves out of the equation. China cannot produce oil. They have to buy it elsewhere. And so now, despite having immense reserves of oil beneath the surface, fracking, etc., that can make us not only energy independent as we were under Donald Trump, but we can also export our oil. We can undercut the Chinese. We can undercut the Saudi Arabians. We can level the playing field. We can ensure that the dollar reigns supreme. And if we go to Yuan, baby, you better get ready for hurt like you've never seen before. Even in economic hardship, the fact that the rest of the world has reserves of dollars, dollars has basically made us suffer less than other countries in times of global hardship. But the Biden administration, they're preventing the United States from regaining energy independence. And they're also paving the way for the rest of the world to look to Saudi Arabia and Russia to supply the oil. I mean, they've turned a Chinese vulnerability into a Chinese strength. And if we do not unleash our oil and gas industry, the yuan will replace the dollar, as I said. And that's the point. But Biden, I'm trying to explain this. Look, Biden and the Democrats, they are not playing for Team America. They are batting for the Chinese. That's exactly what's happening here. There is no other explanation for this whatsoever. None. And this climate change 
is a hoax. I know that some of you have been indoctrinated to believe that we are responsible for climate change. We are not. 50 million years ago, there was more carbon dioxide in the air than there is today. That was before man existed on this earth. Antarctica used to have palm trees and crocodiles 50 million years ago before man's presence. The climate changes. And the earth is 4.54 billion years old. We've had hurricanes. We've had tornadoes. We've had weather events, droughts throughout our history. That is part of it. The biggest contributor to any kind of temperature change is the sun. That's the reality. But the Democrats and the climate change fanatics want you to believe that based on temperature data that only goes back to the 1880s, 141 some odd years, out of 4.54 billion years of history, that's definitive proof that man is responsible for warming temperatures. Except 50 million years ago when we weren't here. We weren't responsible for that, were we? And in the 70s and the 60s and into the late 70s, we were all going to die of a nuclear winter. The earth was cooling, we were told. And then suddenly they realized, well, now it's warming and we're responsible for that too. This is a joke. It's a joke. It's a hoax. And the joke is on us. China is not moving towards green new energy. Russia is not moving towards green new energy. But Europe, who is weak, who does not drill for anything, who does not have much oil, they're dependent upon Saudi Arabia and Russia. And we're going to take ourselves out of the equation completely and make ourselves dependent upon Saudi Arabia and Russia as well for oil. Everyone knows, everyone knows that fossil fuels are still needed and they will be needed in the foreseeable future. The Biden administration knows this. That's why they've been importing oil from Russia. We're going to have to get it from somewhere else, but they're stopping us from drilling. And this climate change garbage is meant to benefit China change the global landscape, and ensure that, well, America joins the ash heap of totalitarian history. I'm using it in a different way than Ronald Reagan. We will go back to the swamp from which we crawled. That is the upshot of all of this. And just ask yourself every day, why would this administration intentionally wreak this harm on the American people? Now, they're lying through their teeth as usual. Nancy Pelosi, (laughs) she's amazing, isn't she? She's amazing, a piece of work. She's telling us that when the government prints more money, it does not cause inflation. It doesn't cause inflation. Did you know that? These people do not know Economics 101. They don't know Economics 101. Before I get into inflation and addressing that and how we solve it, I want to talk about a brief story that makes a broader point. Uber has added a fuel surcharge. That's right. This is a lesson in economics for the rationally, uh, coherently challenged Democrats out there and indoctrinated. But I'm going to help you out. I'm going to give you a history lesson. I'm going to give you an educational opportunity here to learn that which your mind has been deprived of, perhaps because you were taught by morons your entire life. But I'm no moron. 
I'm here to set the record straight and do you a great service and thus my country a great service. So Uber's added a fuel surcharge, obviously because, uh, well, fuel prices continue to go up and they have to pass that on to the consumer, don't they? If you're an Uber driver out there and you're filling up your tank and that's on you, well, somehow you're going to have to find a way to make back some of that money because if you're charging the same rates, but you're paying more for the gas to drive your vehicle, well, you're losing money, aren't you? So they're adding a fuel surcharge. So the consumer's paying a fuel surcharge to make up for the increasing costs to the drivers of Uber vehicles. Makes sense so far, right, my Democrat friends? Well, that's passed on to you. And gas prices are up. Uber drivers are impacted. They're passing that cost on to you, who uses the service. And that's what happens in everything. When you raise taxes on corporations, right? Let's tax the rich, the greedy corporations. They got to pay their fair share. Corporations don't pay taxes. Now, don't get me wrong. Um, They are taxed, but... At the end of the day, the consumer pays the tax. And it's a very sneaky way the government does this by taxing corporations because you don't see what that tax actually is in the final product that you're buying. But the tax is there, and that's what why the costs go up. So let's say you tax the corporations. Let's say it's uh let's say they make burgers and french fries, okay? Let's say they make a million dollars a year and the government taxes them 10%. They pay 100000 in taxes every year. Now, let's say, okay, I'm the government. We got to get more money. We're going to tax this greedy little uh, hamburger maker 20% of their million dollars. So now they're going to pay $200,000 in taxes. Do you think that nothing's going to happen? There's going to be no change in the way the business conducts itself? Or are they just going to eat the extra 100000 and say, you're welcome, Uncle Sam. Happy to do my patriotic duty. No, they have Uh, employees to pay. They have a bottom line. So what do they do? Maybe their hamburger costs $5 before. Now that hamburger is going to cost $10 to make up that 100% increase in what they're having to pay to Uncle Sam. That's how it works. And so the Democrats want you to believe that inflation, this is a problem with the term itself, right? So you hear inflation and it seems to, to suggest that, uh, Well, it means higher prices, okay? And Democrats know this. And so they say, look at these greedy companies. They're raising prices, right? That's what you think. Inflation, the prices go up. That's true. And these companies are raising prices. They're evil. They're evil. But the businesses are the victims of inflation, just like you and me. Their prices have gone up. The price of meat, if we go back to the hamburger stand analogy, the price of meat goes up. Cheese goes up. Fuel goes up. And so they have to raise their prices, which then you have to pay in the end. They pay for everything. They pay more for everything. And we pay, pay more for everything, too. Now, uh, this gets back into a speech kind of Ronald Reagan gave. I don't have the speech in front of me, but he was a brilliant guy. So some of this may be from his mouth. I like to give credit where credit is due. I am just speaking about this, but I love Reagan. He was a brilliant guy, and we could use him right now to explain the situation. So I am going to, in my own way, explain what Reagan explained many, many, many years ago. So inflation is not just the increase in prices. Inflation is also a reduction in the value of your money. 
my money, right? It takes more dollars to buy the same thing. The value of the dollar has gone down. The hamburger was $5, now it's $10, all right? And this happens, of course, because when you increase the supply of money, but the goods and services available for purchasing are not. You have too many, too, you, what do you have? You have, you have too many dollars chasing too few goods. And the pandemic, of course, opened the floodgates of this, right? We shut down our economy. We printed money. You have all this money out there, but not enough goods and services. Too many dollars chasing too few goods and services. Now, how do you solve inflation? That's the question, and it's not rocket science. There are a couple of ways, but one of the ways is no longer possible. Now, the first way you could solve inflation is the government could raise taxes so they don't have to print money anymore. That ship sailed not just recently, long ago. $30 trillion plus in debt? You can't tax your way out of this. So that's out. That's out. Middle-class Americans, by the way, if you look at your paycheck, especially in a state like California where I live, you're already paying, and you're not amongst the rich, by the way, but you're already paying 30 to 40% of your paycheck to Uncle Sam. That means you work three or four months a year to pay your taxes. Think about that. Three to four months of work, and you don't see a penny of it. That just goes to the government. Now, You can't get this from businesses either, right? Because I already explained businesses don't pay taxes. They're being taxed, but those costs are passed on to the consumer. It's Econ 101. So you can't do that. So the only solution we have to get out of inflation, in fact, to even eliminate inflation, are you ready for this? It is for the government to slash their spending, to live within its means. That is the only way to combat inflation. And yet this Democrat party and many of the rhinos, they want to spend more money on infrastructure, on universal pre-K. This is going to devastate not only the value of the dollar, but our economy at large. It is so dangerous what they're doing. They know they're doing it. These are sick demented people. I don't know what else to say about them. Somebody who is inflicting pain on the American people and then wants to exacerbate it because economics is economics. This is how it works. They want to hire more IRS employees. They want to, they want to do all these things and spend more money that we don't have, which requires printing more money amidst inflation, which only leads to hyperinflation or stagflation. And they have no interest, no recipe for getting out of this. Their solution is not a solution at all. Their solution is going to destroy America as we know it and lead us into the greatest oppression we've ever seen in our history. So that's how you solve inflation. Do you think the... Well, the Democrats won't be up for it, will they? They won't be up for... uh, slashing any amount of government spending, right? They just want to spend more. How about the rhinos, though? They, they seem content to spend more money. In fact, um, there seem to be enough Republicans they can continue to knock off with the Mitt Romneys and the Mitch McConnells and several of the others, of course, in Congress uh, to continue to push this agenda. But that's how you solve inflation. I just wanted you to understand that. 
And so here we are in this inflationary state uh, where the value of the dollar is very, very weak. And you have the Chinese on the move to replace the yuan using oil to do so. And what is the Democrat Party and the Biden administration doing? They want to continue to eliminate fossil fuel production in the United States of America. They want to spend more money. Uh, Treason would be the word for what they're doing to this country. Now, to move on to a couple other things here quickly, because... uh, because it's fun. You know, I just want to talk about it because a lot of this stuff is heavy. Uh, Trump, Trump, God bless him. Uh, he's not. This might shock some of you. If he runs in 2024, as we know he likely will, uh, he's ruled out Mike Pence as a running mate, a potential running mate. Can you believe it? Mike Pence, the dream team. Mike Pence, who didn't have the cojones to stand up on January 6th and before and to uh, call into question the very questionable results that took place in the 2020 election. And that's the thing, you know, Trump says something to, a, to the effect, and I wrote an article when I first heard that Mike Pence was going to run well, he, 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 he wants to run for president of the United States. I said, you know what? Thanks, but no thanks, Mike. You know, it was a great two acts, but uh, like any good movie or bad movie, uh, if the first two acts are great and the third act falls apart, it's a bad movie. Sorry, you ruined it. Uh, Mike Pence may have had a pretty good two acts, but he failed on the third act and proved himself to be a coward and loser. And so there's no place for you uh, in politics today, Mike. So sorry, but you know, the American people reject Pence. We know that. Trump's got his finger back on the pulse again. I've got hopes for him. You know, he's getting he's getting back into fighting shape. He's out there doing more of these uh, off-the-cuff talks and, and rallies and things like that. And he's he's back out there with the American people. And he's he's saying the right things. Not to say them, but because he means them. And, and, and that bond is still as strong as it was. And that's why the Democrats are trying to destroy him still because... One, they're not confident because of 2020. They know they cheated. And two, uh, they know that, 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 that Donald Trump could just absolutely destroy them in 2024. Another bit of news here. Uh, Juicy, Juicy Smollett. Juicy Smollett. Juicy Smollett. Well, he's, uh, he's, he's going to take this hoax to the grave with him, continuing to d- deny, even though we have video, we have testimony. I mean, it's literally, we know. It's like the... You know, he's trying to tell us the sky is green, of course, and we're looking, we're like, no, the sky's blue, juicy. But anyway, he's still fighting this to the bitter end. It's, 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 it's somewhat hilarious, to be honest. I mean, this guy, I mean, he almost got away with it, and then he didn't get away with it, and he couldn't believe he didn't get away with it because, you know, he's a, he's a liberal Democrat, he's black, he's gay, he's supposed to get a free pass because, you know, uh, in this country in which, in which, uh, I mean, poor Juicy, though. Look at this guy. He's probably looking at the world around him. He's looking at BLM people. He's looking at people. He's looking at black. He's looking at that black guy in Kentucky who was a BLM activist who tried to assassinate that that Democrat mayoral candidate in the candidate's office, and the guy's out on bail. And Juicy's like, look, all I did was was do this ridiculous hoax and I'm going to jail for this? 
I mean, maybe I should have tried to commit actual murder. Then I would be out on bail. <clears throat> uh, still. But anyway, this is great. So they're, they're, they're trying to demand an emergency release for Juicy. I mean, he's got, what is he, have five months in jail or something like that? I don't remember what it is, but it's a very light sentence given what he did and all the lying and all the hell he, he dragged America through. But uh, now, now, now the argument from his lawyers is that he's got a compromised immune system. Now, COVID just ended, as we know. The Democrats killed COVID. They said, there's no more COVID. We're on to Russia. That's the only thing we're going to talk about. That's the only thing we're allowed to talk about. We're lifting all the mandates. COVID's done. We got midterms coming up. But his lawyer's a little late. If this had happened a few months ago, Juicy might get away with this. But now the lawyer is saying he has a compromised immune system. Now, the doctor's note won't specify what the actual illness is. Surprise, surprise. But we generically, he's got a compromised immune system all of a sudden. And jail is unsafe because there are 15 cases of COVID in a jail of, I don't know, 6,500 inmates. And they're worried that, that only in prison can you get COVID. You know, now, Juicy, going to all his parties, fraternizing with a Hollywood crowd, he was never going to get COVID there, but prison now, prison is the place where he could uniquely get COVID. I guess he didn't pay attention to that Supreme Court case, huh? Where they ruled, and one of the arguments was, yeah, you, you can't do these mandates in businesses with 100 plus employees because it's not a work-related issue. COVID's an in-the-world issue. You can get it anywhere, in a park, at the grocery store, at your house, walking your dog. So, no, you're not going to do this. But anyway, poor Juicy, if he'd only been sentenced to go a few short months ago, he might have been able to make this case and gotten out. But, you know, the Democrats have ended COVID, and he's just bad timing, Juicy. Bad timing. I don't know what to tell you. Um, and his mental health, by the way, could also be damaged in jail. That's what they're arguing. Although, Juicy is asserting that he is not suicidal. It's funny, um... So Juicy's in protective custody, right? That means he's got, he's treated better than other jailmates. Uh, that means he's being protected 24-7 by guards. But this, of course, is dangerous to him as well. I, well, what do they want? Do they want Juicy released into the broader prison population? Uh, one of the arguments, I think, is, well, prison's not safe for him because, you know, people know who he is and it's not safe, but then he's in protective custody and that's not safe either because that's not helping his mental health. These poor victims, these poor victims, I feel bad for them living their lives like this so pathetically, can't take responsibility for anything. They embarrass themselves making these ridiculous arguments and Juicy is the laughing stock. well, of the current crop of uh, former failed actors out there. So anyway, uh, I just want to, I'm going to continue to cover this, this issue uh, with Russia, Ukraine, but I'm just telling you, I got a bad feeling about it. I don't like Zelensky trying to really pull us into this thing. I don't like that China's trying to get us involved in this thing. It doesn't end well. And of course, again, the problem is who do you believe? Who do we believe? You can't trust the media. You can't trust the Democrats. You can't trust, tr trust the military-industrial establishment. And it makes this very, very difficult. But I do know this. China is using oil to destroy America as we know it. 
and the Biden administration is going along with it. They are aiding and abetting China in achieving that end. China has no oil. America has ample amounts of oil. And yet we are taking ourselves off the world stage. I mean, oh, let me end with this. Let me end with this. I have to. I have not even gone through this story yet. I've been hearing about it, hearing other people talk about it for a little while now. This is not news, but it's something I wanted to get into. <clears throat> Think about this. No credibility, this administration. So Biden, Biden, we've got the Russians invading Ukraine, right? Putin's the bad guy. It's all Zelensky is Superman. <clears throat> so amidst all this, Biden is letting Putin run the Iran nuclear talks. So allegedly one of our sworn enemies who is wreaking devastation on Ukraine to which we're supposed to get involved in World War III to solve the problems of Ukraine, this same administration is letting Putin run the Iran nuclear talks. This is from the New York Post, okay? All right, some stories make so little sense that all you can do is scratch your head. Uh, I agree. Others are so infuriating that you want to pull your hair out. Then there are those that are so outrageous your head feels as if it will explode. This story <laughs> provokes all three reactions. Who wrote this? Michael Goodwin for the New York Post. So here's a strange little-known fact, he writes. Russia is acting as a go-between for the United States in nuclear talks with Iran. Yeah, I'm reading this on my phone if you're watching on Rumble. That's what I got. I didn't print this one out. So, I mean, this sounds like a Babylon B article, right? I mean, how could it be that that Russia is the go-between for us. So Russia is working on the behalf of the United States of America in nuclear talks with Iran. This is this, what? But the story's not a Babylon Bee. It's not satire. It's true. It's happening. So Russia continues to direct the nuclear talks with America's approval, our approval. We're approving this while its army simultaneously turns Ukraine's cities into rubble. Um, so shouldn't America also sever the relationship with Putin in the Iran talks? Since we don't trust him in Ukraine and want to isolate him, why should we trust him on whether Iran gets nuclear weapons? Great question. No sense here. This is, he, here's the he, subheadline, the new axis of evil. On the chance that Biden and his team somehow missed the voluminous evidence of Putin's depraved nature, Russia's alliance with Iran in Syria and elsewhere, ought to have ended any consideration of him as an honest broker. All right, so a video carried by Real Clear Politics shows Russia's chief negotiator, Mikhail Yulianov, praising his Iranian colleagues, saying they are fighting for their national interests like lions. Great, yeah. Iran's national interests are not our national interests. Or, or Israel's, by the way, who they want to blow off the face of the earth. So he says, I'm absolutely sincere in this regard when I say that Iran got much more than it could expect. Well, Russia's gotten more than it expected too, I think, with their thus far invasion. Our Chinese friends were also very efficient and useful as Kona goes. So here's your axis of evil. Iran, China, Russia. Three sworn enemies of the United States of America and the West joining forces to work on the behalf of the United States of America, who they hate and want to supplant and destroy, to what? What did Iran get? Here we go. 
Um, days later, uh, let's doodly deed. So Biden wants this Iran deal, of course, because he needs a success. It doesn't matter if it gives them nukes. It's just, I did something. This is how they operate. They think we're so stupid. Anyway, um, uh, bear with me because I'm just reading through this. So U.S. is hungry for a deal. Yep, got that fact. And the use of Russia as a broker with Iran turns out to have been going on for many months. So even before Putin was amassing these troops, uh, Biden was up to no good on the sidelines, whispering sweet nothings in Putin's ear to have him negotiate these talks, which is insane. We should be negotiating this ourselves because it directly affects ourselves and our allies. Um, So Blinken, of course, is behind this, urging Russia to move the nuclear talks forward, even as it looked imminent that the Russians were going to invade. And so Putin's still negotiating terms as we speak. And so Iran won't meet with American negotiators. So a go-between was needed. This is the explanation. So why Russia is the question. The most likely reason is that Iran and Russia maneuvered the U.S. into endorsing the Russian role. Why would we do this? Why would we do this? Compromised administration working at the behest of the communist Chinese. Xi's pulling the strings on everything here, by the way. Xi, if you want to look at what's happening in Russia... It all goes back to Xi, all right? Don't get me wrong. Do not mistake me. You can, you can print that, sear it in your brains. I'll stand behind it forever. Anyway, I don't know. This doesn't actually get into what the details of it are, but I can tell you what they'll be. They'll be similar to what Obama did. They're going to result in Iran getting nuclear weapons, right? There we go. So then we not, don't only have to worry about a nuclear war from Russia or China, we have to worry about Iran as well. Another player. So China, Russia, Iran, all nuclear weapons. And we've got the U.S. here that is making ourselves dependent upon oil from Saudi Arabia, who is also aligning itself with China, who is the, their biggest importer. Can't get more dangerous than that. Um, people better wake up. The Democrat Party is, is evil. Is evil. And uh, the rhinos aren't, aren't much better, okay? Uh, but this is Drew Allen. I want to thank you for tuning in today. Uh, if you got questions, concerns, want to write me, email at drewthomasallen.com to stay abreast of my latest genius, my writings, my podcasts, my appearances. Uh, subscribe at drewallen.substack.com. That's where I post most of my information. It tends to go to spam because Substack, I don't know why they do that. But anyway, uh, God bless you all. This is Drew Allen, your conservative warrior, and uh, until next time, my friends.